So we've been in uh, the book of Ephesians, and um, you know, we had, uh, I was on vacation, we had a little Father's Day, but before all that, we talked about uh, one of the things Paul wanted to bring out to the church. He had this, we had this question, is the church a salad bowl or a melting pot? And uh, those are a couple metaphors for how people live together. A uh, salad bowl is, is like where um, everyone is in the same bowl, but they don't, they don't change or, or act like, any, like, they only act like themselves. So, for example, if you're a lettuce, you're just a lettuce, and you're never like a tomato. In fact, you, you kind of rub elbows with the tomatoes, you don't like them that much. And you're like, you know, you just do your tomato thing, I'm going to do my lettuce thing, and we're just going to, that's how we're going to be. That's a salad bowl. Uh, in, in terms of, of uh, the church, in terms of uh, communities, a salad bowl is when uh, you have groups that have separate cultures um, that never mix, right? So um, you might even think of, um, in, 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 in our country, the uh, United States of America, um, there's a question about to what extent do um, groups, when they come to this country uh, from other countries, to what extent do they um, adopt American culture? Or to what extent do they maintain their cultural heritage? Well, the melting pot is a different way of doing that. In the melting pot, you go uh, to the melting pot, uh, my wife's favorite fondue restaurant, and you get the four cheese blend. They, uh, they, they have a bowl in front of you, and uh, they throw in four different types of cheeses, you know, jack, cheddar, your favorites, and then they light a fire underneath it, and, and they begin stirring, and those four different cheeses, they blend into one. Some cheeses start out as white. Some, some cheeses start out as, as, as uh, uh, orange, and yet they, they come to like this sort of um, what, urine-y goop, Sort of at the end, it's kind of like a little off yellow, uh, and, and and but it's great though. It's really really good, even though it looks a little suspect. But you can see how how uh, they start out over here and they start over here and they and they get together and they actually change into something new, right? You start out as cheddar, you start out as Jack, you end up as something different, and that's the melting pot. Uh, that's um, in fact the way that Paul says the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a melting pot. And so you Jewish friends and, and you Gentile friends and, uh, and, and any nationality, any culture, you guys are going to come here and you started out as this and you had these things, but you're going to make accommodations to come together as one people. This is something that, again, the United States of America has always struggled with. Uh, if you, some of the works of Tom Wolfe, he's a popular uh, author uh, from the 20th and now 21st century. He has a number of books that deal with culture clashes in this country. Uh, just recently, in fact, last night, I finished watching Zootopia, a, uh, a children's film from Disney, and it too deals with this question. They have this place, Zootopia, where all of the different animals from the animal kingdom meet and gather, and there's a question. There's a question, uh, are, are, the, are the foxes going to be like the bunnies, and are the elephants going to be like the giraffes, or are they just going to stay separate? And that's an interesting question that Zootopia tries to wrestle with. So you might ask yourself, why? So what, Paul? Yes, okay, we're supposed to be a melting pot. But why? What's the purpose of this? Why can't we just be a salable? Why does it matter that we are going to melt together and become something new in Christ? Why does that matter? And that's what we're dealing with today. And the answer, the short answer, is because this place, the church, the big C church, the global church, the historical church, and Coast Bible Church, the little C church, this place right here, us together, we are open for business but we're still under construction. And as, we're gonna, as we go through the text today, we're going to see that because we are open for business and because we're still under construction, we have to be a melting pot or it won't work. We will not succeed in our family business, as you, uh, uh, if you will. And we'll talk about what that is. 
So let's stand together and read uh, the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Paul says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, a melting pot, with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone and capstone in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You may be seated. And before we go on, you can just see it right there, the family business. It's being a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. We're going to talk a little bit about that at the end. Um, what that means to be a part of the family business, to be, um, in, uh, to be a holy temple for God. But first we need to know what that temple, how it's going to be constructed, how it's going to be built. And so we're going to look at that first. There's three different ingredients, three different materials that Paul brings out as, as, he, as, he's, as God is building in the Spirit and joined in Christ this new temple. And so let's look at the construction of this temple. Notice Paul says it in 19 and 20, he says, uh, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're saints and members, fellow citizens, and you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, this is the first step in this new temple that God is building. We need a foundation. You guys like Watership Down? Do you know that book? Or there's a really creepy BBC movie that was made in the 1970s. Apparently, uh, the first time, it was a movie based on this book, Watership Down, uh, by this British author. And it was a cartoon, and so it was on BBC, so all the children of Britain were very excited because this was a best-selling book back in the 70s. And so they all gathered um, to to watch this this movie, and it was apparently traumatic because (laughs) it had these really violent scenes of rabbits, like, killing each other. And so the children of Britain cried out, and uh, it, it was a really cool cultural moment doesn't matter. The point is, this awesome book, Watership Down, Watership Down is about a group of bunnies who um, live in a warren. Uh, warren is their little community of bunnydom. And one of the, one of the, um, one of the bunnies, uh, his name is Fiverr. He, um, he's an apostle. Fiverr has visions. Uh, the, as an aside, you can imagine how difficult it was to get this book published in the 1970s. We're going to have a book about rabbits, and one of them has extrasensory perception, and they're going to go on a journey. Uh, yeah, it got rejected by all of the major publishers, and Britain became a bestseller. Uh, so Fiverr, Fiverr, little bunny, lives in the war, and he has this vision. He's an apostle, and he, he sees something. He witnesses something incredible. He realizes that doom is coming to the Warren. Um, there's a, a, an apocalyptic event that's going to come and destroy the Warren. And he wakes up from a dream, having seen this thing. And he runs to his brother. His brother is named Hazel. And he says, Hazel, I saw this. And, and I, I witnessed it. I know what's happening, but I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to do with it. And so Fiverr, he's an apostle. He saw this incredible thing. He witnessed it. And then his, his brother Hazel is what um, the scriptures call a prophet. He interprets or makes sense of this thing that happens. Typically, when we talk about apostles and prophets, um, prophets we usually think of as somebody who sees the future. Um, but really, probably the most important thing that a prophet does is a prophet makes sense of whatever God says. So not only do they see the future, but they also are able to interpret it to make sense of it. Well, the church is built on both apostles and prophets. Prophets. 
There are those who witnessed, that's apostles, witnessed the death and resurrection of the Lord. And then there are those who are able to make sense of it in light of the traditions of Israel and the Old Testament. Those are what, in, in, in probably the New Testament, we would think of as prophets. Okay, it's maybe a little, uh, a little um, different than what you're used to, but that's kind of how Paul, uh, when he talks about apostles and prophets, that's kind of how he describes it. And so if you think about Paul himself, he's both. He's both an apostle and a prophet. He's both fiber and hazel. He saw the risen Lord. Um, and yet then he was able to make sense of what the resurrection of Jesus meant for the world and for us. And if you step back into the first century, that might have been a little difficult to see someone be crucified on a Roman cross and then come back to life. You might wonder, what does that mean? Well, Paul and the other early disciples, they were able to make sense of it. And so they gave interpretation to the church. And they said, this is what it means for us. So this is the first thing on your note sheet. The construction of God's new temple, the foundation of God's new temple is the apostles and prophets whose witness and interpretation is preserved in Scripture. So when God's building his new temple, uh, in the first, in the early church, when Paul was still around, he, you had apostles and prophets, and some were both, like Paul. And so the key, the foundation, the beginning, the inception, the first thing you did was hear their true speech about who God is and what God was doing. And respond to it. That's the foundation. And then, as you'd go on, you'd be sustained as you stayed with that truth. And you didn't depart from it. It was so important not only to know the truth, but also to understand what it meant for the world. And Paul says, that's the foundation of the temple. Well, for us, friends, bottom line, that's scripture. Scripture is the, the absolute authority. It is the trustworthy, true source of the witness about who Jesus was and who God is, and everything we need to know to make sense of the incredible event of his coming and his death and his resurrection. This is how the church begins with the scriptures, and this is how the church remains through the tossing and turning of culture. How, the, the culture is like, you know, it's like a wind, and it's going to blow the building, the temple. But if the temple is solid on that foundation the foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets, the witness and interpretation of the Christ event, if we're stable in that, then however the culture moves, we won't. We'll be safe. We won't be swayed. That's the first part of the construction of God's temple. The second ingredient, the cornerstone and the capstone. You'll notice in verse 20, um, I've kind of re-glossed. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone and capstone. Uh, in most translations, you'll, uh, you'll get a different, you'll just get a chief cornerstone or cornerstone. Even if we, we'll go through it, but even, these words are a little strange to us, cornerstone, capstone. We're going we're gonna to talk about them a little bit, but let me, let me defend first um, this, this translation. Um, like I said, most English translations, cornerstone uh, or chief cornerstone, uh, not all do this. What they're really trying to do is, this is a very rare, very strange term that Paul uses, uh, and it's only used one other place in the whole Bible. Uh, it's in Isaiah, uh, in the Greek translation of Isaiah. It's not even used in, in Greek literature very often, uh, so it's a little bit strange. If you were to say it literally what it means, it, it literally means something, it could be either extreme corner or highest angle. You can see uh, Acra, Acra, if you think about the Acropolis uh, in Greece, um, Acra means highest or extreme. Um, so like the Acropolis is the highest city. That's the city that's raised up on a hill. So if you're looking um, straight on at a building, 
If you look at the um, highest angle, okay, that's like, like even in this building, the highest angle, in Greek architecture, that would, have, that would be a capstone, okay, the highest angle. But if you look at a building uh, sideways, the extreme corner or the extreme, um, the extreme side, well, that would be, in Greek architecture, a cornerstone. And we'll talk about what both of those are. But it could be either one. Um, Paul's using a word that's actually, it's a homonym. It has two meanings, and it could be either one. Um, there we have examples of, of it throughout Greek literature being used as both, um, even in uh, Christian and Jewish literature. Uh, so we know that it does do both. It, it, really, um, it really could go either way. The reason translators tend to go with uh, cornerstone is because that has a rich Old Testament heritage. I think, though, that Paul is capitalizing on the ambiguity of this term. Um, let, me, let me just throw a sentence at you in English and see what you would make of it. We stood silently at the grave. That word grave, it, I mean, it means the plot, right? But do you get a little bit of the association from what it means to be grave, to be somber, to be solemn in that sentence? We stood silently by the grave. Um, Here's another one. The traffic jam oozed down the highway. You see maybe an association from jam that we get. The jam can be jelly too and not just traffic smashed together. And so we get a little bit of the association of both words when when we, or both meanings when we talk. I think Paul is doing something very similar here. It's something that happens all the time in Hebrew literature. And because he's Jewish, because uh, he's familiar with Hebrew, it's something that's natural for him. And so I think Paul has really taken advantage of the fact that we could do both cornerstone and capstone. And as a result, I think that he really wants us to hear both um, in this text. Christ is the cornerstone and the capstone of the new temple. Well, all right, let's just say you buy what I'm, what I'm selling. So what? And besides, what is a cornerstone? What's a capstone? That's silly. Well, uh, let's... Um, yeah, let's, let's take a look. look Christ as the cornerstone. Uh, Christ is the cornerstone. So we've got a picture coming up right here. Yes, cornerstone. Uh, the cornerstone is the, is the stone in the corner uh, at the bottom there. Um, yeah, and notice, notice how large it is. Uh, it's not always the largest, but a lot of times it's, it's large. Um, notice the interesting thing about um, all the other stones that are kind of patterned off of it. In this, in this picture, it looks like the ones that are near it are kind of bigger than the ones that are farther. But notice, notice that all the stones are different shapes and sizes. Uh, we have another slide. This is um, from Israel. Uh, and this, is, uh, this, this building, was, it's a ruin, but it's, uh, it was roughly contemporary uh, to the early church. And the cornerstone um, is right at the bottom there on the corner. Um, if you pull the next slide, I have a little magnification of it. Kind of, uh, you can see it's, uh, it's, it's um, been, been cracked and, 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 and shifted. But one of the weird things is you look at that wall, and then you look at the wall of, say, a brick building here uh, in the United States. What do you notice is really, really different? I'm sorry? Right, bricks are all the same size because you went to Home Depot. Do they sell bricks at Home Depot? I've never been, but I assume that they probably do. Uh, yeah, you go to Home Depot, and they ha- we have... Um, we have, we've created science, and science does things, and one of the things that it does is it makes all of our building materials exactly the same, right? Well, in the ancient world, you couldn't do that. In the ancient world, um, if you wanted to build a building, you, you went down to the quarry, and you're like, hello, quarry master, give me stones. And then he would, uh, probably, honestly, slaves or 
very low paid servants would go with pickaxes or something like it and would just start hacking away at what other kind of, and whatever popped out, that's what you were saddled with. So you were like, oh, well, I got this tiny rock and then I have this huge one that I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And so I've got all these different, different shapes and sizes of, of stones. What am I going to do with all of these? Well, in order to have a good wall, they all need to be flush, they all need to be straight, they all need to be true. You need a guide. You need one stone that kind of sets anchors everything. Um, the cornerstone. What the cornerstone does is, is it says, this is, this is what straight is on either side. This is our angle. Um, all the ones on top, if you want to be flush, you want to be true, you line up with this cornerstone. You'll see, um, they probably originally did a much better job, but this is, a, this is thousands of years old, this, this, this wall, and it still stands, probably because the construction, when it was done, really followed this, this, this idea that it would stay, stay true, stay flush, stay on top, stay with the cornerstone, so all the seams would line up the right way. Christ, the cornerstone, keeps all the other stones flush and true, regardless of how different they are. Think again about being a melting pot. Some of this, some of that. The sizes and shapes are very strange. And yet, they've all got to work together perfectly. Well, the only hope is that each of these bricks conforms to Jesus' character. The bricks of God's new temple form an acceptably beautiful wall. This is a temple of God. They form it when they're true and straight and flush. Christ is the cornerstone, but Christ is also the capstone. What's a capstone? Picture? Yes. Um, all you have to do in this picture to find the capstone is just look at it and then see what your eyes are looking at, what they've been drawn to. And that, of course, is the top of the arch. Um, this is also sometimes called a keystone. Uh, the word Paul's using um, probably means both. Uh, and, and, no, and notice, notice it's, it's, it's kind of the, the, the place where your eyes are drawn. And also, also, it is the brick or the stone that is bearing the weight of all the other stones because in an ancient arch, um, the, the stones kind of want to collapse inwardly, but they, they get stopped by this one, this one stone, this, this capstone, this keystone. I think I pull up a, a, a close-up of it. And you can see what, it's, what kind of pressure the stone is under, right? Because it's got everything on the sides, and in this case, stuff above, really a, a, a true capstone would, would be on top. Christ to the capstone, and this is in your note sheets, is the focal point of the temple's design and carries the weight of the entire structure. In God's new temple, this is a little strange, right? Because uh, in the old temple, there was, there was a before Jesus. But in the new temple, in the new temple, when you look at it, what your eyes are going to be drawn to is Jesus the Messiah. He's going to be the point, the focal point upon which all of our eyes are set. And interestingly, once they're set on us, on, 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 once our eyes are set on him, then they're going to be drawn into worship of God. The Father. There's something Trinitarian going on here. If you want to know God the Father, you focus right on the Son. We know God by gazing at Christ and what he's like. 
And moreover, we have to set our eyes on him because without him, the whole thing falls apart. Our weight, our, our, everything we bring to this temple with all of our foibles, um, it's too much for the community to handle. It's too much for the temple to be. And so we have to lean deeply on Christ in order to stand. So that's the two pieces. So we have, we have two pieces, right? We, we've got the foundation, the scriptures, the apostles and the prophets, the witness and interpretation of, of the Christ event. Now we've got Christ himself, who's the cornerstone. He's keeping us flush, straight, true, so that all the bricks are in the right spot. And yet he's also the focal point, the, the place we look, and he's the one that bears the weight of all of our burdens in himself on the cross. There's a third thing that's going to be used to construct this temple. Ephesians 2, 21, 22, look at this. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You, Christians, are the bricks. You come in all shapes and sizes. You come with all kinds of problems and all kinds of abilities and gifts. And yet you are the thing out of which God is making his holy temple. Brothers and sisters, we as a community create the space in which God dwells. But what does Paul tell us? Uh, I'm calling this section another brick in the wall. So um, what, what, what does Paul tell us about the bricks. Uh, what, what does he say? What does he say? Let's, look at this in verse 21. In whom the whole building, being joined together, being joined together, um, it's, like, uh, it's like when we, when we looked at that, that earlier wall, did you, see, you saw all the space, right? Like in between the, the stones. And that was because of time and age and ruin. But when you, when you first create a building, what you really want is you want everything just right up against each other. No space, no cracks. No, no, you don't want drafts in the building. You want it to be really tightly, tightly joined. Um, and this, uh, this language that Paul's using, being joined together, um, you could, there's a sense there even of, of maybe even being sewn together or melted together, right? So that there's no space, that we are, we're, we're tight and flush. There's no seams. And what that means is that as bricks, we are meant to be flush with Christ, and therefore, because we're right in line with him, we are united, deeply tied to each other. Every person in this temple is meant to be flush with Christ and united to others. And notice this other thing that, that Paul says about this temple. It grows. This is a weird thing. Guys, we're, we're doing it. We're, we're open for business, but we're still under construction. Notice it's, it's being joined together. It grows. It's growing. It's present tense. It's happening right now. We, we, we don't, this, this, uh, we have doors in this building. And there's a reason for that. It's because uh, we want people to be able to come in and go out. We have a porous barrier, you might say. Uh, there are some barriers, like in a war, where um, the barrier uh, has, has no entry points. It's a bulwark. It's meant to keep people out and keep us in. It's defensive. It's a way to protect what we have. Our barrier is not like that. This temple is meant to continue growing. More bricks need to be put into the wall. 
And so we, we have this, this movement where at the same time we're staying flush with Christ, being joined tightly together, and yet at the same time, new members must be able to find their right place in this community. We are meant not only to be joined together as one, but also assimilating new people as they come to us. This means we are preaching the gospel to create new Christians. It means we are discipling so that other people recognize the importance of the family. We are called to expand. This temple isn't done yet. It is still under construction. That doesn't mean we're not open for business. We are. But we are not open for business just to stay the way we are. We are open for business because we're gathering new bricks. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we creating space for new bricks? Or is the wall like, and then like a new brick comes along and it's like, oh, no space. Go to the next building. Or, or, or are we actually like really making, being intentional about saying, no, this temple isn't done yet and we want more? Do we take that seriously? Are we inviting people? This is a question that um, I asked with the staff this week. I was like, I, I don't invite a lot of people to church. I'm wondering if maybe that's because um, sometimes I just like this wall the way it is, and I don't want anyone to come in and ruin it. And then I wonder if that has anything at all to do with God's vision for the church. Or if that's just me being selfish. Friends, for those of you who've been here a long time like I have, you know we've got a great thing here. You know it's incredible. For those of you who are a little bit newer, you see these people and you're like, man, they really know and love each other. And maybe you're wondering, how do, I, how do I get in? I'd like some of that. That seems great. Well, friends, that's on us as a church to find ways to make space for these new bricks and let them be fit, snug, and, and secure, and sure. That's, that's for us to do. One of the things the elders have been talking about is starting up um, in the fall some small groups here. Places where a little less intimidating than uh, greeting time where we're running around. Uh, a place where you can come and, and study scripture together, look at um, a, a topic uh, in the context of the Bible, and, and get to know some people and get to feel a little bit of that family that we've got. That's one way that we can assimilate, we can bring new bricks in. And remember, it's a melting pot, right? So when the new bricks come in, uh, you can imagine these stones, they have like little edges on them, and we've got little edges on ours. And when you put them together, those edges have to get shaved off in the melting pot. We have to adapt to them, and they have to adapt to us. And that's how the wall expands. That's how the temple grows. Coast Bible Church, founded in 1967. Jack and Sue, not quite there at the beginning, but close. I don't know if we've got any original members left. You know what 1967, you know what 1967 plus 50 is 2017. That's next year. That's next July. July 4th, 2017 is the 50th anniversary of Coast Bible Church. Friends, I'm excited about it because I really think that the 50th anniversary is going to inaugurate, is going to inaugurate another chance for us to build the wall to build up the holy temple, to bring new bricks in, assimilate, 
jostle around, get tight, get flush with Christ, be built on the scriptures, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the witness to the risen Lord, and the interpretation of what that means, be built right on that, nothing else, be built on that, and then get, get, get straightened, flushed, and true with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then built into this tight, secure, snug wall, a wall of a temple where God lives, where when people drive by on the five, they start thinking to themselves, those people are really weird because I know what life's about and it's probably about like this Mercedes that I'm driving and it's about um, this girl that I'm seeing and, it's a, and, and they seem to think that it's about following a guy who was tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition. They are crazy, but they're compelling and they're making me stop and think. It's happening, friends. I mean, already with Stony Brook doing this renovation, I mean, it's going to be beautiful what we're going to have. And uh, we, we are poised. We are poised to be this place, to be this city on a hill that looks out at South Orange County and says, your culture's crazy. And we stand with the truth. We stand on the real foundation. And guess what? And guess what? What we've got is better than what you've got. Come check it out. We're building a better temple. Look at this in Ephesians. Again, uh, 21 and 22. um, It says, In whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. At the time of this, as this is written, we don't know if the temple, the second temple, Herod's temple, has been uh, destroyed yet, but that happens in 70 AD. And you can imagine, do you, you know how the temple got started, the very first one? King David has just won this awesome battle, and he's sitting there with his prophet Nathan, and he's like, man, I'm telling you, I got this great palace that you guys have built for me. Where does God live? And Nathan's like, I don't know, I'll go ask him. And then God speaks to Nathan the prophet and says, I have wandered. I have never had a home before. I've been wandering with you. Would you build a house for me? A place that's worthy of me? Would you build a place that where, where my glory can rest, where I can sit, where, where you can experience what it's like to be children of my children, the one true God's kids? Can you make a place that's right for that? And then Israel goes and they do it and they mess up. That temple gets smashed. Nehemiah comes in, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. They build another one. And then the Romans in 70 AD, that one gets smashed. And God says, well, we're going to get one that's even bigger and even better and more beautiful. And who does he go to? You people. Us. He says, I want the most beautiful place, a place that can contain my presence, that can expand my holiness. And he invites us to be that. I am going to live with you, he says. I am going to dwell with you. From this place, I will direct all the affairs on earth. And friends, that means that we, our hearts, our community, has to be fit for a king. We have to be the community where God can live, and it's right And we do. Friends, we're open for business here at Coast Bible Church. This temple is a temple. God does live here. We are built on the foundation of his word. 
We are working to, to, to fit together. We are staying in, in, in keeping with, with, with the, the, the cornerstone and capstone who is Christ, keeping us flush and true. We are directed at him. He is our focal point. This is a temple. It is a holy temple. But we're still under construction. The wall's not finished yet. And guys, I think, I think that this year, getting ready for the 50th anniversary of Coast Bible Church, the city on a hill, it is time. We are going to look and we're going to say, we are still under construction. We are looking for another brick in the wall. Maybe that's you. I'm excited. I love our business here. I love our worship here. I love the way we live together. And I'm excited to see God expand it. Not changing us. Just make it a little bigger. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making Coast Bible Church a place that's open for business. A holy temple. People joined together. Founded on your sure word. Flush, true with your Messiah. Focused on him. Living together, melting together into one people who are worthy of bearing your presence, of sharing your glory with the world, of standing true to who you are in the midst of an ever-changing, ever-flux culture. And God, we pray that we will be serious about the fact that we are still under construction, that we're not done yet, the Coast Bible Church is still, the wall is still not finished. That you're with us, but you're not done with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.